Welcome to the War Room. Today is Tuesday, February 28th, the year of our Lord, 2023. And while our hair may be similar lengths and while we both may be detested by the Chinese Communist Party, you've probably discerned by now that I am not Stephen K. Bannon, but today I'm Natalie Winters. I'm filling in for him. I'm the co-host and executive editor of War Room. Steve is out on assignment, uh, so I'll be hosting for the full two hours today. And with CPAC happening just tomorrow, we have so much stuff to get to. As you guys well know, there is no rest for the wicked from Kiev to Wuhan, all the way to our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where CPAC will be commencing, like I said, tomorrow. But before we get into the wickedness that went down in Wuhan, as you guys know, yesterday we focused really on this bombshell report from the Wall Street Journal talking about how the Department of Energy has finally taken the war room pill. They've finally admitted that COVID-19 escaped from a lab, likely the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It really got me thinking about the broader implications of this story. So I sort of want to preface this show, this awesome two-hour show that we have, with a brief anecdote that I think really kind of allows you to understand the mindset of America's elite and why they lied to us about the origins of COVID. Now, I personally am still riding the high of the fact that the New York Times called us the top spreader of misinformation. That is probably the, the utmost bad of honor, right? Especially coming from the New York Times. But I had about an hour-long interview with a journalist who wrote the piece, and I believe they included it. They sort of buried it in the article. He said to me while we were talking, well, Natalie, even if I take you at your word and everything about the show you say is true, it seems that people are left with the impression that, quote, the institutions are lying to them. And I sort of chuckled to myself because I thought, Exactly. That's basically the motto of War Room. But I think this story about the origins of COVID and how the Department of Energy, the FBI, all of these intelligence agencies knew that COVID escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology helps sort of answer what really is, I think, an eternal question about the motivations, not just behind the Biden regime, but really the broader American elite. And what I mean by that is that the policies that the Biden regime puts out are so ridiculous, right? They're basically designed to destroy America. The question really comes down to, are they incompetent or is it intentional? And what I think was the Freudian slip on the part of that New York Times journalist that I spoke to, he didn't say that the war room audience thinks, right, that the institutions are incompetent. We think that they're lying, and that's because they are, because the policies that they're putting out, the lies that they're pushing about COVID-19, about vaccines, about critical race theory, about Ukraine, are just that, lies, because it's part of a broader agenda, and it's not incompetence. So when you internalize this story, right, the fact that the FBI has withheld information about the true origins of COVID, the Department of Energy waited years to come out with this conclusion, it goes back to what I think the central thesis that, that I'm sure the Brookings Institution and the New York Times would call misinformation, but of this show is, which is that our elites are lying to us. They're not incompetent. This is part of a much broader plan and agenda uh, that they're rolling out really at, at Godspeed, maybe not Godspeed. But uh, I want to bring in to talk about the wickedness that went down in, in Wuhan, someone who I think knows it better, better than most, uh, Josh Phillip, he's an investigative reporter with the Epic Times. And people may remember him. He made a wonderful, wonderful documentary. I think it amassed 
what is it, almost 100 million views about the true origins of COVID way before the Department of Energy and anyone in the Biden regime got around to telling the truth about COVID. But predictably, as you could imagine, you were heavily, heavily censored. So why don't you briefly just sort of walk people through, A, what your documentary said and how it feels so great to be vindicated, but B, the extent to which really the ruling class, the the tech oligarchs set out to silence you. Yeah, well, well, thank you, Natalie, and it's always a pleasure being on with you. You and I have actually been on the front lines of this for a long time, actually. Um, of course, those of you who might know Natalie and I are, I think, some of the maybe few journalists talking about the United Front and uh, the Tongs, which, Natalie, I'm sure you've seen the stories lately about the Chinese police departments in America. Those are just Tongs. Uh, Natalie and I would know that. Uh, but yeah, so Natalie, at the beginning of the whole pandemic, um, before there were even lockdowns in the United States, I did a documentary looking into the origin of the virus. And the purpose of it initially was not to was not to come to any initial conclusions. We merely looked into the claims. Did it come from the Huanan seafood market? Did it leak from a laboratory? Was there a natural origin? Did it come from somewhere else? Uh, we looked at some of the scientific papers that were released initially. Uh, even the virus sequence, which actually, funny enough, was released and then was repealed. And then the CCP disappeared the scientists who leaked it, as you may remember. All this stuff now is like forgotten history uh, because there's been such a ridiculous, insane cover-up, uh, which even the scientific community right here in the United States is not even properly acknowledged. Uh, but it, it turns out those who have, to an extent, acknowledged it have said they did it because of pressure from the CCP. Now, what we've witnessed over the past few years is I would call a process of elimination. Uh, remember that the World Health Organization was, they had people going to you know, China to try to prove that the virus, you know, find the origin of the virus. It turned out the CCP just fed them false information. CDC, uh, the FDA, they tried proving that it came from anywhere other than a laboratory. Nothing they've had stands up. The CCP claimed it came from the Huanan seafood market, which was the bat soup market everyone talked about. They said it came from pangolins. They said it came from, actually, they, they shifted the narrative entirely and said it was a bioweapon from America brought to China. Nothing they've said holds up. And I think there needs to be a point where we get to, again, just the process of elimination. They've tried proving every single thing other than just saying it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And nothing other than that one answer has been able to hold up to the light of day. And the documentary I did, I think, showed that pretty clearly, actually, because, frankly, all the scientific evidence suggests it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, but, Natalie, you mentioned, too, that I got censored for it. It was ridiculous. So the first, <laughs> the video got roughly 150 million views across all platforms. The biggest one was probably Facebook. Facebook censored the video. Um, actually, it was ridiculous. The initial censorship, if I remember right, they censored the image of it because it had my face and they had labeled my face as being sexually explicit. Not even joking. <laughs> and then then they did a full fact check and the fact check turned out to have been done by somebody who formerly worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the basis of the fact check saying the investigation was false was just her claim that as someone who worked there, that it was impossible the lab leak could ever happen because the CCP's security was so good. That was the basis of the entire claim. It was ridiculous. I mean, yeah, and here they we used are that now. To, to deplatform you guys, right? From from virtually 
every social media network. I remember you guys got banned on YouTube. You guys have been demonetized, deplatformed. And I think you really speak to the heart of the issue, which is right the conflicts of interest that the fact checkers never disclose. I remember a lot of my early reporting that I did about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They were also citing a researcher from the Wuhan Institute of Virology to dispel it. But I'm sure there's no conflict of interest there. Or, or even, I think we've discussed this previously, but you know, I had uncovered that Google, which of course owns YouTube, right? That they yeah. had been funding EcoHealth Alliance, which is the nonprofit group that funneled money from Anthony Fauci overseas to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, so it's certainly curious, right, that YouTube would be banning your documentary, which is sort of shining a light on them. So I think this sort of speaks to the bigger issue, which is media subversion, not just at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, but also as we see through the Twitter files, right? The federal government is intimately involved in this, too. So I'm just curious, in your case, and I'll, I'll hold you through the break, uh, we have a couple minutes, but who do you think is sort of calling the shots, right? Obviously, the fact checkers sort of play Praetorian Guard for the establishment's narratives, but how, it, how deep did the cover-up go, and who were the key players in it? Well, with this one in particular, we do have some evidence that the NIH played a, played a role in trying to censor things. We know that the World Health Organization, the WHO, had launched what they called the infodemic, the information pandemic, and had launched a program working with all the foreign media, including right here in the United States, all the social networks and all the big tech companies, uh, to basically censor and control information. And that included anything outside the narrative and who is setting the narrative. Well, the Chinese Communist Party is mostly setting the narrative. And so I, I would say the CCP in, in, in cahoots with the World Health Organization and even some corrupt scientists right here in America uh, played a very heavy role in the whole censorship system we watched. And it's so crazy because these same people who really carried out these censorship narratives, right, whether it be the globalist bodies like the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum, or even the scientists themselves, right, people like Peter Dashak, who the war room is very proudly uh, responsible for getting him kicked off the Lancet COVID commission. But what is so interesting, and I think paradoxical, is that these people have really only expanded their power since the onset of COVID, right? Even though the people who are supposed to be involved in the business of pandemic prevention utterly failed, right? They keep getting multi, multi, multi-million dollar grants from the Biden regime. They're still appearing on mainstream media networks. And the World Health Organization is still trying really to broaden their control, uh, not just over their member states, but really the world writ large. And of course, using pandemics, using incidences like COVID-19 sort of as a pretext to extend it. But that kind of goes against what your documentary uncovered, right? Because for this whole WHO model that undermines both individual sovereignty but national sovereignty, right? Because we need to protect, we need the nations to act in concert or else these you know, natural pandemics are just going to happen. If you actually believe and you actually kind of internalize that COVID-19 was the result not of a spillover event, but of the Chinese Communist Party and their biowarfare, bioweapons program emanating out of Wuhan. All of that, all of the, the you know, trash that comes out of the World Health Organization in terms of wanting to undermine national sovereignty in favor of pandemic prevention is totally bogus. So do you think that the WHO and these groups 
really have capitalized on the narrative that this was a spillover event, right? They've sort of downplayed the lab leak theory, not just because they're in bed with the Chinese Communist Party, that's a given, but because just like the World Economic Forum, all these other groups, they've wanted to, you know, it's a tale as old as time, exploit crisis for the sake of expanding their own power. Well, I, I think exactly that, Natalie. They want they want to exploit crisis for their own power. It's it's classic Hegelian dialectics, right? Uh, it's the idea that you create a crisis, you basically manipulate the course of evolution of the crisis, and then you offer the solution to the crisis you created in the first place, uh, which is typically the goal you wanted to accomplish from the get-go. Uh, in this case, expansion of power. Uh, we see that they refuse to end the pandemic, even though they admit, including Fauci and Gates and others, uh, that we're past the pandemic, we're in the endemic state. They're, they're still maintaining their uh, powers, their emergency powers. We saw, for example, that despite the fact that they keep getting proven to have lied, despite the fact that you and I, in fact, Natalie, keep showing to have been right in, th in things we report, and we actually we, we keep exposing other these groups, these uh, systems, as having spread false information. Uh, despite all of that, you and I are still, I think, pretty badly censored and get attacked pretty often, despite the fact that our track record is very good. And the folks who keep lying repeatedly uh, keep becoming the main sources for public policy, the main sources for inter international organizations, and the main sources who are made to be the authority figures on the thing that they continually get exposed and lying about. Projection, right? Accuse the enemy of what you're guilty of. They call us conspiracy theorists, when they're the ones acting in conspiracy, they say that we spread misinformation, actually the top spreader of misinformation. Uh, and again, like I said, we take it as a badge of honor. Well, we have a few seconds left before we're going to cut to break. I definitely want to hold you over because I want to talk a little more about what specifically this pandemic treaty that the WHO is doing, uh, how the UN is involved. All of these scary, scary, scary globalist figures and what they're trying to do. And I know the World Economic Forum likes to call it a poly crisis, so that's a, a bit redundant. It's kind of given. Uh, it really is scary. And make no mistake, they're certainly going to pivot to other issues, whether it's climate change, that sort of seems to be the new religion, uh, that they're going to try to push to expand power. So sorry, Atlantic Magazine, no amnesty for you, no amnesty for Fauci. I like criminal investigations. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. Again, still not Stephen K. Bannon. He's out on assignment. I asked uh, producer Cameron what he was doing last night, and Cameron said, well, it's CPAC, so he's getting a, a haircut. That's why he can't host the show. I don't know if that's true. I don't want to spread fake news, but maybe that's what's going on. But we still have Josh Phillip down the line with us talking again about the bioweapon that is COVID-19, uh, not just the biological warfare side of it, but of course the information warfare side of it too, not just emanating out of Beijing, but also emanating out of our very own United States Capitol, the FBI, everything that we've seen in the Twitter files. But I think it really gets to the heart of the issue, which is what we were talking about just before break, which is the idea that these crises that exist, right, whether it's climate change, gun violence, all of these, you know, far left kind of social inventions. Uh, they're not actually about the issue, right? Don't miss the forest for the trees. 
it's about power and it always has been. And you were just telling me in the break something that even I, and I'm pretty jaded as Steve always tells you guys, even I couldn't believe that they want to sort of define or rather redefine what exactly it means here in the United States to be in the middle of a public health emergency or health crisis. What were you saying? Well, well, so a couple points on this. Right now, the Biden administration, they're working with the World Health Organization to try to give them unilateral powers globally to manage policy on global health crises. Um, and of course, they're going to be the Biden administration worked directly with the with the World Health Organization to write the policies. This will give Tedros, the Ethiopian communist who leads the World Health Organization, the sole power unilateral to declare public health emergencies and dictate the policies countries have to follow. The U.S. is already on board with it. Aside from the implications of just what that would mean, if you think about COVID and lockdowns and vaccine mandates, all of which were the CCP model under, again, the WHO, which could not demonstrate its independence from the CCP. If you remember, that's why Trump pulled us out of it. Aside from that is the concern of what even defines a public health crisis. Because guess what they're calling? They're calling gun violence a public health crisis. They're calling racism and white supremacy, you know, quote unquote, a public health crisis. The Biden administration, Biden just signed an executive order on equity. And they're going to be changing the way that every single branch just about of the federal government, how it works, focusing now on equity. Equity is just a fancy way of saying socialism because it means equality of outcome. The, you know, the manufactured equal outcome, no matter how much work you put in or lack thereof, you get the same result. And they're doing this specifically on race. Uh, they, they call climate change a public health crisis. And so what does it mean if the World Health Organization, a United Nations organization, can dictate policies and even determine what a public health crisis is? Well, that, that's everything, Natalie. That's, that's, that's our gun rights. That's our race. That's you and I. Uh, that, that's just about that's our cars. That's our gas stoves in our home. It's, it's everything. Well, and the number one thing that the Biden regime could do to actually curtail any public health emergency, right, close the border, stop uh, having just an endless influx of people, who knows what diseases they have, uh, they won't do that. Uh, but, but speaking of sort of, I guess, ceding our, our sovereignty and authority over to whether it be the WHO or the Chinese Communist Party, which, by the way, side note, the United Nations is actually in the midst of a deliberating a new treaty on misinformation and how they want to crack down on it, people who spread it. And believe it or not, the Chinese Communist Party, well, I'm sure you believe it, uh, submitted an amendment where they wanted to ban, outlaw, actually their words, criminalize misinformation that results in, quote, social disorder. Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably be <laughs> thrown in jail pretty quickly, as would you, as would probably a lot of the war room posse. Yeah. But it really is crazy, the, the power grab that they're trying to, to make out. So real quick, before I let you go, one, tell me what the Chinese Communist Party is doing with police stations here in the United States, because you sort of mentioned that. I feel like we need to unpack that a little bit more. Um, and also... Yeah. What you're working on, some documentaries. I hear you have some very good guests in your documentaries. I might be slightly biased. Um, but yeah, just go on that. And then we have Monica Crowley joining us after. Yeah, well, so briefly, uh, people might have seen the news of the Chinese Communist Party's police stations in the United States. One of them was, in fact, in New York City. And people were wondering, what the heck, the Chinese Communist Party's police stations in America? 
Um, actually, th I'd say that the framing of them as police stations is just kind of how they label them. Actually, you and I should have thought of that, Natalie. Uh, because you and I, uh, Natalie, have been, I think, two of the few people exposing the United Front. Those Chinese police stations are merely the United Front Work Department um, liaison you know, results. Basically, the a branch of the Chinese government goes to other countries, works with these fraternal organizations that they call Tongs, get them on board. And these work basically actually as overseas Chinese police branches. They enforce the laws of the CCP, they monitor Chinese communities, and they work on subverting our politicians, our business leaders, our journalists, and everybody else, inviting them back to China or even just feeding them false information. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the documentaries. I recently did a documentary called The Final War, talking about the CCP and its war plans against America. And one of the greatest guests I actually had on that was uh, this <laughs> lady named uh, Natalie Winters. <laughs> she, yeah, so Natalie, was, it was a pleasure having you on with that. And folks, uh, yeah, check it out. Natalie's on there. It was really good. Thank you. Well, where can people follow you and, and find you on your show? Uh, they can go to epochtv.com, E-P-O-C-H-T-V.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We have Monica Crowley coming up in a little bit, but I will say I uh, in that documentary, it took so long to get through post-production. I think I'm like 19 in it, so, so I, I have a lot darker hair and I look a lot younger, but I, I promise it's me. Thank you for joining us, Josh. Um, <laughs> hey, but it, it really is interesting, of course. Um, it, it really is interesting as someone who has analyzed probably more so than most uh, how, how the federal government spends its money, particularly in the context of misinformation um, and disinformation. I noticed a pattern and I had spoke about this briefly on a show with Steve, um, but I think it was in the six o'clock hour. So maybe it got lost. But the federal government only really started spending money to stop the spread of, quote, misinformation and disinformation starting in 2016. They've given out several hundred grants to whether it's in the context of public health emergencies, race relations, you name the issue. Uh, they really only started spending to stop the spread of misinformation once Donald Trump got elected. Um, I'm really talking there were like three grants uh, that even just contained the word misinformation before Trump was ever elected. And then once he came to power, it totally ballooned. It multiplied. And I think that sort of gets to the bigger issue. And if you really read the fine print on a lot of these grants, um, it's not just about silencing one issue, right, like COVID, silencing us on one issue like the vaccine. It's really about stymieing and kneecapping the global populist movement. And some grants even say this explicitly. And I think this really gets to the heart of the collusion, right, what I was talking about in the opening of the show, where our federal government, they're not incompetent. They're just lying to us because they think that, A, we're dumb enough to believe it, and B, and more importantly, they think that they can get away with it, right? That's why The Atlantic is publishing front page uh, editorials calling for amnesty. Meanwhile, they're forcing us into our homes, forcing us to take experimental vaccines, forcing us to wear masks, despite The New York Times admitting that they were entirely a bust yesterday. That's not the war room. That's The New York Times. Uh, we'll still be waiting for the apology on that one. But down the line, I think I have Monica Crowley, uh, who I want to talk not just about COVID with. She always comes in hot and spicy. She's some of the best takes, but also, of course, Ukraine. Uh, she's always calling for, for audits. But I, I think before we get into COVID, you know, you worked in the Treasury Department under Trump. Um, and of course, 
our dear Janet Yellen just embarked on a trip overseas to Ukraine to really double down uh, on America's support for the, the ongoing, potentially forever war going on there. She said the U.S. is proud to be Ukraine's largest bilateral donor. Monica, are you proud to be Ukraine's largest bilateral donor? You know, if we were really flush with money here um, and not saddled with nearly $32 trillion of debt, Natalie, and if we were taking care of the American people and we had no crime or very little crime and we had an enforced border and we had a thriving economy with no inflation, I would say, okay, now we have the luxury to look around the world and and see what kind of needs uh, should be met and what's in America's interest. But unfortunately, we're not in that position. And yet this administration continues to behave like we are. And they're spending money hand over fist to enforce the Ukrainian border, but not our border, southern and northern. Um, So look, Janet Yellen went over to Ukraine on a surprise trip. She handed them another check for $1 billion. Last week, she said that they were committed to another $10 billion over the next three months. So I guess this first billion was just the first down payment, the installment. But look, the United States, our hard-earned money, is uh, we're now committed to this Ukraine fight north of $200 billion. And the spigot is still wide open. Um, with no end to the war in sight. Here is the point, Natalie. The point is that the globalist ruling class, both here and around the world, has zero incentive to end this war. Why? Because it is a massive money laundering operation for the globalist ruling class, like Secretary Yellen, and certainly Joe Biden, who has used Ukraine and its corruption as, uh, as basically his retirement fund for him and his family for many years. So because you've got this deep corruption of longstanding in Ukraine, now you have this war where you have zero accountability for anything that we're sending over there, whether it's money or military uh, materiel, bullets, etc. There is no oversight there's no transparency and there is no accountability. So I'm not calling exactly what they they want, I'm sure. Right. Whatever happened to FTX and Ukraine and SBF. Right. Remember that whole money laundering operation? I don't see any investigations there. Well, stay over through the break. I want to get more into Ukraine and, of course, COVID. Um, I'm sure in this break, we got 90 seconds. I'm sure the Biden regime will find a way to give probably a couple billion more uh, to Ukraine. Make sure you stay with us. Uh, we'll be back in about 10 seconds. Then we got a 90 second break. We got Monica Crowley joining us to talk Ukraine, COVID, what they're really doing, why they're lying to you. Stick around. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to War Room. I told Cameron that I think, and I told Steve too, the main reason that I was excited to host the show was that I would get to do the My Pillow reads. So today you should certainly use the code War Room so we can show Steve that I can hold my own when I host the show. Uh, and you know how I do that is by getting a very, very, very good night's sleep using, of course, a My Pillow, specifically the My Pillow 2.0. I have a very good memory, but I can't say I remember uh, what the deals are, the numbers, the prices, but I do remember the code, and that's War Room. Uh, so if you feel so inclined, make sure to support uh, all the American workers over at MyPillow and Mike Lindell. But getting back 
to the action, speaking with Monica Crowley about what's going on, not just in Ukraine, but also in Wuhan and what's going on maybe at the Fauci household. Um, You know, it, it really struck me interesting, right? Imagine if East Palestine were in Ukraine. Imagine the attention and the support they would have got. Imagine if Chicago's failing public schools were in Ukraine. Imagine if Ukraine had a fentanyl crisis at their border. Heck, even imagine if a spy balloon was flown there. Imagine the billions of dollars in armaments and ammo and trips from every dignitary in the United States and the entire world. Imagine what they would get. But when it happens here in our own country, America, what do you get? Nothing, because the Biden regime is really America last personified. So I really think that sort of brings me to, which I think is a paradoxical question, uh, because when you ask what is the end game of the globalists in Ukraine, that implies that there is one, uh, which, frankly, I think you and I share the opinion that there there isn't, right? They want to turn it into another forever war, um, right? In the words of Janet Yellen, she said, we will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. There's also a very interesting buried lead in a New York Times article. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. I'll read it. General Mark A. Milley argued in internal meetings that Ukraine was unlikely to make substantially greater battlefield gains and should move to the bargaining table. The White House quickly squelched such talk. In other words, Joe Biden, his globalist pals, they've all decided Ukraine is going to become America's next forever war. And frankly, the person who benefits the most from that is, of course, the Chinese Communist Party, right? America just throwing away all their money uh, on yet another endless war, right? It's not the elite children who have to, children who have to fight in it. It's, you know, the people of East Palestine. Uh, but Joe Biden doesn't care about that, right? They don't care. That doesn't really matter. So, Monica, you worked in Treasury, right? You have, a, I think you also, of course, worked under Richard Nixon. You learned statecraft from him. What exactly is, if there is one, the end game here from the Joe Biden and Ukraine globalist side of things? It's a great question. And in fact, it's really the only question, Natalie, when we're talking about Ukraine. And I just want to clarify, I worked with President Nixon in the last years of his life, <laughs> not when he was president of the United States, not born. <laughs> um, so just so I want to put a time frame on that. Um, Look, the the globalists want this war and they want it escalated and they are doing everything humanly possible to expand this war and, and, and escalate it. Why? Because, again, it's a huge money laundering operation for all of them. There was a report about three months ago uh, by a major network. I believe it was NBC. I could be wrong about it, but it was one of the big broadcast networks. And they did an investigation into the military weapons that we were sending over supposedly to the front lines to help the war effort and help the Ukrainians push back the Russians. Well, this network did this full investigation and found that it was something like 20, 25 percent of the weapons that we were sending over, very expensive weapons in many cases, only about 20, 25 percent were actually making it to the front lines. So the question is, where are all of these other weapons? Where have they gone? Are they in the hands of the Iranians? Are they in the hands of Al-Qaeda or ISIS or Hezbollah or Hamas? Nobody knows. Again, there's no oversight or accountability. And yet we keep under this uh, Biden regime, we keep pushing in the money and pushing into the, in the weapons without any accountability of where this stuff is going. That's why I'm heartened to see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and other uh, Republicans in the House 
pushing for this kind of accountability. But look, that there is no incentive, again, for the globalist ruling class here, here at home or across Europe and the world to end this war. Again, because they're making money hand over fist, they are empowering the military industrial complex. And, uh, you know, if anybody says, well, what evidence do you have? This administration has not lifted a finger to engage in any kind of diplomatic efforts to stop the war. They have a secretary of state. They've got a whole diplomatic operation around the world and at the State Department. Nobody has moved one iota to engage in any kind of diplomacy. And when it is raised, even within the administration, as you mentioned with General Milley, it gets shut, shut down immediately. There's no incentive whatsoever to stop this war. And it, it is gonna be ongoing for quite a long time, at least as long as Joe Biden is in that White House. And why would they bite the hand that feeds them? This brings me to sort of another, and I think our last point on Ukraine before we get into COVID, but timing is something that is very interesting when it comes to the Biden regime and their decisions, because you can sort of discern what really their, their true motivations are. And I think it's certainly curious, right, that about two or three days before Janet Yellen goes over to Ukraine, you see the House Oversight Committee under James Comer uh, ask, I believe they subpoenaed, if not asked for, the suspicious activity alerts from Hunter Biden and what he was doing financially, right? There's about 150 of them, not just in China, but really throughout Eastern Ukraine, uh, Eastern Europe and Ukraine, right? A lot of them in the opening press conference of this investigation, they said had to do with human trafficking and, of course, just foreign business deals with, you know, our, our mortal enemies like the Chinese Communist Party. Um, so after that happens, you know, a few days later, Janet Yellen's overseas um, in Ukraine. And remember, Janet Yellen, who has a, a horrid track record, uh, she only announced that she would stay on uh, after the House announced that they would ha be having their investigations into Hunter Biden and that Treasury would play a really, really important part. So I'm just curious, in, in your opinion, Monica, how do you think that the kind of Hunter Biden angle of what's going on in Ukraine, right, the compromise there, how do you think that's affecting what's going on there? Is Joe Biden compromised in that regard? Does it just kind of affirm what you've been saying, that this has always been sort of a country that they've exploited uh, with their kleptocrats and oligarchs there for, you know, free cash for everyone? Yes, Joe Biden is incredibly <laughs> compromised with the CCP and with Ukraine and Lord knows who else, because the Biden crime family has had their, their paws in a lot of different pots over the years, uh, leveraging Joe Biden's positions in the U.S. Senate and as vice president, and certainly probably now as president of the United States. So all of these like investigations, whether it's you know the January 6th committee, the Mueller investigation, um, this now the, the Intel investigation into the origins of COVID-19, everybody has to understand that the regime controls those investigations. So those investigations are actually the cover up of the Fed's crimes or the regime's crimes or Joe Biden's crimes. So again, you have a compromised commander in chief who I, I think it's a very legitimate question for the American people to ask when he is abroad or when he's dealing with national security issues or foreign policy issues, is he representing America's interests and, and working to keep America safe and Americans safe? Or is he representing his own financial interests and working to protect himself and his family? That is a completely legitimate question. 
Um, but our national security is is in dire straits as a result of it. And the American people are really pissed. They're pissed that we are now in this position of having a president who just isn't just in the advanced stages of cognitive dementia, but also is incredibly compromised. And so his leadership is is both incredibly weak and um, and putting America on the back heel. To your question about the SARS reports, at Treasury, every once in a while, you get a request from Congress for a certain SARS report. And if, if you were flagged once for a suspicious activity by a major bank, whether it's here or abroad, that's suspect enough. But as you point out, Natalie, the Biden crime family has about 150 or more SARS reports. And Janet Yellen in this department is putting a stop to it. They're stonewalling like they're stonewalling everything else, including COVID and the border and everything else. They're stonewalling requests for those SARS reports. There is a long history of Congress being able to get requested SARS reports so that they can conduct their own investigation. SARS reports are critical because it is sent to Treasury to determine whether or not there's been illegal activity and or a national security threat. And we have over 150 of, this, of these reports related to Hunter and Joe Biden and Janet Yellen is stonewalling it. It's absolutely outrageous. And the Republican Congress better step up and hold her accountable, not just allow her to get away with this because our national security is at stake along with a lot of other things. Remember, it was Hunter Biden who said, speaking at the DNC, everything we do, we do together as a family. And I think that applies to their business dealings, too. Talking about another country where they have business dealings, of course, China, more precisely with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you've always come in very hot, had some good spicy takes on COVID-19 and Fauci and all of his fellow bureaucrats who really have plunged America in a descent towards Orwellian control since the onset of this pandemic. But it seems that Democrats are still sort of running cover for them, right? Not just the origins of COVID, but COVID in its entirety and how it was exploited to push a certain agenda. We have a few minutes. I definitely want to hold you through the break. But can you explain to us why exactly Democrats are so opposed to getting to the bottom of COVID-19? Yeah, they have killed pretty much every investigation under their purview of the CCP and the CCP's role in the Wuhan uh, virus and how it originated, how it escaped, how it spread around the world. They have squashed everything. And the assumption has long been, Natalie, that, well, the Democrats, you know, they, they're compromised by the CCP, too, that the huge market, they benefited from all kinds of relationship with, with uh, the CCP or CCP-related entities. And while all of that is true, I think there's a more nefarious explanation, which is that Anthony Fauci, and you've reported extensively on this, you are the go-to investigative reporter on all of this, Natalie. You are everybody's heroine on, on this story. And as you've reported and others have reported, it now looks increasingly like Anthony Fauci and the NIH through a pass through EcoHealth Alliance and maybe other organizations were funding the development um, of SARS-CoV-2. And so the Democrats know this, and it, we can actually tease it out after the break as to the timing of the release and whether or not it was an accident or intentional. I believe it was intentional for a whole variety of reasons, but the Democrats are aware of this. And so they are running cover for Fauci, but also for the bigger operation 
because remember, this was an intelligence operation through and through, continues to be, they're running cover for Fauci and what the bigger operation was of late 2019 going into 2020 when, oh, lo and behold, we had a presidential election coming up where Donald Trump was running for re-election, the only president to stand up to the CCP and China. He needed to be stopped. So on the other side of the break, I'm happy to tease that out. But I think this is one of the primary reasons why the Democrats are stopping an investigation into the origins of COVID. Because you know what, Natalie? It just whips right back around to Anthony Fauci, the NIH, uh, Eco Health Alliance, but also the deep state's more nefarious purposes. On the other side of the break, I want to get more into the intentionality of it because I think we find some of the Warren Posse's most favorite people, whether it be Anthony Fauci, maybe even his wife heading up the ethics department, Pfizer, Moderna, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the CCP, really as Steve would call it, murderers row. Stick with us. Just, I think, got a 90-second break. We got Monica Crowley on the other side, and then I have a whole hour more packed with guests, a lot of breaking news. Stick with us. Arrived. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. Make sure to use code WARROOM if you're going to be joining us at CPAC. It starts tomorrow. I'm sure it's probably not too late to get tickets. You definitely should come. You'll be able to not only meet the captain, the admiral himself, Stephen K. Bannon. We'll be, I think, doing live shows from there. I think Matt Gates might be co-hosting. Maybe I'll be co-hosting. We sort of just go with the flow here in the war room, but the entire production staff and team will be there too. You got Cameron and, and Will and everyone. You got Mo, Jane, Grace. So make sure to come out. And if you see us around, make sure to say hi. We love meeting the war room posse. It should be, should be fun, even though I'm not really looking forward to going to Washington, D.C. I will make a trek to the swamp just for the war room posse. And I think Monica is going to be there too. I think she might even be speaking at the Reagan dinner. I think I am correct on that. <laughs> so I will be at CPAC at the end of the week, Natalie. I can't wait to see you and Steve, of course, and the whole War Room crew. Um, I am going to be hosting a table at the Ronald Reagan dinner uh, there on Friday night. And then I will be leading a panel at CPAC Saturday afternoon, right before President Trump speaks. So my panel is going to be on big tech and to the actual collusion between big tech and the regime in Washington, and also big pharma and the big corporate media and so on, is gonna be a dynamite panel with Eric Prince and a couple of other people. It's just gonna be blockbuster. And then right after we clear the stage, President Trump is gonna join us. Also, I wanna say I'm gonna join the war room with you guys on Saturday morning. So come see Steve and Natalie and the whole crew and me on Saturday morning as well. That's exciting. That's I know exciting. where I, I will where be I will for the opening act the opening of President act Trump's of speech. Trump. I'll be watching you speak. But before I let you go, I know you got a heart out in a few minutes. 
Just want to talk, go back to not only the collusion of the federal government with all these social media platforms, but the collusion of our government with kind of these bio labs, not just in China, but also Ukraine. So kind of the intentionality aspect. I remember I, I broke the Ukraine bio up and story and Hunter Biden's ties to it. Of course, I was flagged as a conspiracy theorist by all the fact checkers. Um, but I think we've been proven right. So what say you about this whole biolab situation? Why is the U.S. involved in the first place? How does it relate to the origins of COVID? But more importantly, and maybe more pressingly, how does it relate to Ukraine? What's going on there? You've done such extraordinary reporting across the board on COVID and the CCP, but also on the Ukrainian biolab situation. So it is speculated now um, that the Ukrainian biolab network was essentially run by the United States. It was an intel operation. It was a DARPA um, operation. It was essentially run by the United States. And there is some speculation that SARS-CoV-2 was developed there not in Wuhan, but it was developed in Ukraine and then trafficked to Wuhan. And that's where it was released and spread around the world. I do believe it was intentional. I don't believe that this was a lab leak by accident. I think that the timing is way too coincidental uh, for that. Um, when it comes to Ukraine, I think that you know there there is a possibility. We don't have any proof yet, but I'm relying on you, Natalie, to dig this up and report it as fact. But the speculation is perhaps that because of this Ukrainian biolab situation, that was one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin went in in the first place because he knew that the United States was conducting this dangerous gain-of-function research, these bioweapons right there on his border. He had warned the United States to stop. We apparently didn't stop and that Vladimir Putin could not stand to have this continue right on his doorstep. So that was one of several reasons why he went into Ukraine. Again, this is speculation. But then once the war began, Vladimir Zelensky is now could be perhaps, and again, speculation, blackmailing Joe Biden and his administration to continue this war, continue uh, pumping all of this money and all of the, these weapons into the combat zone because he knows our secret about this bioweapons and biolabs network. Again, I, I don't have any proof on this yet. I'm relying on you, Natalie, to do your great investigative journalism and dig up the, the proof on this. But it seems that there are a lot of deep state moving parts here that we have not been privy to and that we've just skimmed the tip of the iceberg on the actual facts of why Joe Biden, this administration, the United States and the West more broadly is so interested in this intra-Slav conflict between the Russians and the Ukrainians, which is not our fight. Uh, you know, on the surface, it's not our fight. But perhaps if there are deeper deep state and intel operations that have been jeopardized by all of this, that that perhaps that is the main reason why we are so deeply involved and not looking for a diplomatic solution. As the World Economic Forum would call it, it's a polycrisis. Thank you, Monica, for joining us. Why don't you let people know where they can stay up to date with your wonderful podcast, how they can follow you on social media, what you're working on, and then we'll let you go. Uh, yes, my podcast is the Monica Crowley Podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. There it is. I do it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So subscribe so it will automatically download to your phone with every new show. So you won't have FOMO 
fear of missing out, you want to hear every single podcast. Tomorrow, actually, I'm going to have Dr. Richard Fleming about COVID-19, about SARS-CoV-2 and how it is actually a bioweapon and the mRNA shots may be a bioweapon as well. So we're going to have that full conversation with him tomorrow. And on Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore, Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. And it's been such a pleasure to join you, Natalie. I'm so proud of you. You go get them, girl. Thank you. See you at CPAC. Oh, it's so funny. I remember when I broke the story about the Ukraine bio labs that never get tired of, of being right, which I'm sure is a feeling that the war room posse shares, whether it's on the origins of COVID, you name it. But what I love is the lengths to which the deep state will go to cover up their nefarious activity. I remember I had uncovered a web page uh, detailing how Obama was actually responsible for funding the creation of these bio labs, not just to work with any kind of pathogen. The website that they had deleted talked about how the pathogens that they were working with were, quote, especially dangerous pathogens. Because if you're the United States government and you're going to build a biolab, why wouldn't you put it on the border of Russia and Ukraine? Maybe the second best option would be at a biowarfare facility under control of the Chinese Communist Party. It's wild. Just shows you how America last they are. Stick with us. we got Mike Davis joining us after the break talking about the congressional investigations. We rejoice. 